Father, we thank you for the opportunity, God, to come in your presence and to worship and to honor you. We thank you that we serve the ever-living God. Um, in a society, in a world where things are fading, where things are passing away, Father, the hope that we have is we serve a God that is steadfast, a God that reigns forever. So, God, we just pray that your presence will continue to be with us today, God. We acknowledge you for who you are, our sovereign Lord and King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Good morning, Epiphany Fellowship. How are you guys doing today? Okay, give your hand a clap if you're excited to be here. Of who God is, yeah. It is an honor and a privilege to be before you uh, today. As our Pastor Mason mentioned, uh, we go way back with great friends with him and, and Yvette, and so it's just really a great opportunity to be here uh, with you today. Uh, actually, my lovely wife, she's here, Miss Daphnet, give it up. Mrs. Daphnet Jones. <laughs> also bring you greetings from The Bridge in Silver Spring, Maryland, uh, your brothers and your sisters who you've never met. Uh, we're excited about what God's doing here at Epiphany, excited about what God is doing here at this church and through Pastor Mason's life. We're going through Manhood Restored, just to let you know, and it's been a blessing to our guys. I mean, it's been crazy, so I encourage you to be part of that. Um, but before we uh, jump into today's word, can we just stand for the reading of God's word today? We're going to read two scriptures I've been reading from the New American Standard Version, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. You can find those, Colossians 3, 17, and 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Colossians 3, 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him to God the Father. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Father God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for your scriptures that speak life to us. Now, Father God, we pray that you would speak into our life. I pray that I would decrease and you would increase. We pray that you would have your way today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. For my message today, I want to entitle it, uh, The Social Life. Uh, specifically, what I want to talk about today is us as believers, us as Christ followers, the way that we represent Christ, the way that we represent ourselves, uh, the way that we portray who we am, who he is on social media. Uh, we live in a day and age where our social media life and our regular life has become one, isn't it? Yeah. We, we live in a day and age in which we have a life both offline and a life online. As a matter of fact, it's not abnormal to walk into any waiting room, whether it be uh, you're waiting on your car to be fixed or whether you're at your doctor's office, and every single person <laughs> is like this. I mean, social media has completely changed the game. Some of us are following people on Twitter, and we have people that are following us 
who we never ever dreamed that we even have any contact. As a matter of fact, 10 years ago, maybe you dreamed about one day meeting your favorite celebrity. Now, we live in a day and age where we can send a tweet in the name of our favorite celebrity and our favorite celebrity will retweet it. Uh, we live in the day and age where you can leave someone 10 different voice messages and then you can hit them on Facebook and they reply right away. And you're wondering, how is it I've been leaving you messages for two weeks, and as soon as I hit you on Facebook, you hit me back in three seconds. Social media has changed the game. As a matter of fact, Facebook has about one billion active users. And 200 million of those users are mobile users alone. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, more people watch YouTube than cable television. It's changed the game. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, about 25% of people between the ages of 18 and 44 have said that they can't even remember the last time they didn't have their cell phone right next to them. It's changed the game. And, and some of us have been able to reconnect with childhood friends through Facebook, through Twitter, through Instagram, and now BitStrips. And so here's the thing that we also have to keep in mind when it comes to social media. And this is the big question. If social media, social media life has become interacted with our real lives, here is the big question. How do you reflect the glory of God in social media? When, when people see you on Facebook, what picture of your Savior do they see? When, when people see your pictures on Instagram, what is the picture of your values? What is the picture of this Christ that you claim to worship? If, if people were to follow your tweets, what would they say about you? What would they say about the God that you serve? Because what's happened, and so very often, especially those of us that call ourselves followers of Christ, is we've, quote-unquote, represented Christ offline, but then when we get online, it's a different story. And, and sometimes the pressures of life, sometimes our society and our culture and the things that we value tend to spill over into our social life. And the truth be told, we're not representing Christ that way. And, and some of us have seen it too. Some of us have seen people offline. We see them at church. We see them around our universities. We see them around the dorm. And then we see them on Facebook and we are blown away. We are blown away by the Twitter and the language. And so the thing we have to ask ourselves, are we glorifying? God in our social life, our social media life. Here's what Colossians chapter 3 verse 17 says. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Here's what the scripture is saying. Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. Uh, the term name has to do with a person's character. It has to do with their values. Everything that encompasses a person or their being is in their name. That's why the book of Proverbs says that a good name is worth more than silver and gold. Who you are is based on your name. Jesus Christ has a name. It's a name that is greater and higher than any name. 
And the early church baptized in his name. They, they will proclaim the gospel boldly in his name. They will gather in his name. They would pray in his name. The church did everything in his name. It was all about him. It was all about his glory. It was all about his sovereignty. It was all about his name. His name draws us to worship. His name draws us to come into his presence. His name is to be reverenced. And so when the apostle Paul says that whatever you do in word or deed, we are to do it in his name. We not only do we baptize in his name, but we study in his name. Not only do we pray in his name, but we date and we court in his name. Whatever you do in word and deed, you do it in his name. And it's easy, I'm telling you, it's easy to pray in his name, study scriptures in his name, study theology in his name. And then when we get on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it's about our name and our glory and our renown. And then what happens is, is when we don't take into account the name of the Father, the glory of God that God wants to radiate through us gets fogged and muggy. And there are some people that will only know you online. There are some people who are watching you and paying attention to your witness. They heard that you're a preacher. They heard that you're worshiping God. So that's why they're following you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see if this thing is true. What do they see? His name draws his glory. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31 is like it. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there was this controversy in the church about whether or not they should eat meat that was dedicated to idols before it was served in the marketplace. And so you had a group that said, well, it's okay to eat the meat. I mean, it's, as, long as, you, as long as it's given thanksgiving to God, you can eat it. And then there were some that were saying, no, 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 no. You can't take what has been defied by idol worship and buy that and think that you can eat it. And so there was all this division of church. And the Paul was saying, look, whether you eat or not, whether you choose to buy the meat or not, what it's all about is about the glory of God. So if you eat, you eat in his glory. If you abstain, you abstain in his glory. And so Paul was pointing the picture to what is the real issue. The real issue is the glory of God. When we do things in his name, it creates an opportunity for God's glory to be reflected in and through us. When I tweet in the name of God, when I post in the name of God, when I like in the name of God, when I take into account now who I am, not my name, but who Jesus is. Not about my platform or my kingdom, but his kingdom, it changes the game. My tweets change. The type of things I like change. My comments change. The type of pictures I post on Instagram changes when I realize it's not in the name of Jermaine Jones, but it's in the name of Jesus Christ. You see, I don't know what your name is like. Maybe your name has been dragged through the mud. Maybe you have a great name. Maybe you have a small name, but it doesn't matter because it was never about your name it's about the name of Christ and so what I want to do real quickly is I want to give us some things to ponder as it pertains to how we glorify God how we represent him 
and social media. You all with me? And understand, if you're not on social media, it's fine. This stuff works in real life too, right? (laughs) Here's the first one. Be cautious of venting. Be cautious of venting. Social media has become a place where we hang out all our dirty laundry. Whatever we're going through emotionally, whatever we're going through with our family, whatever we're going through in our kids, we get on Facebook and Twitter and we let it all out and we start venting. And, and what we've done is we change our is, 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 is we've changed our, our Twitter followers and our Facebook friends into counselors, and most of the people who we vent to cannot help us. And, and so here is what's starting to happen. Your pain has become somebody's entertainment. What you're going through is too important to just become the entertainment of the day. And so we're venting, and we're letting it all out, and we're venting all of our frustration. Now, now, to be told, every once in a while, there might be one or two people that might encourage us in the scriptures and that sort of thing. But for the most part, and I'm telling you, social media is not a safe place to vent. Because some people read your comments and some people read your posts and they misunderstand what you're trying to say. Or he's trying to talk about me. Is she referring to me? People get offended when in actuality they were talking about somebody else and they think that you were talking about them. People can download, save it on their hard drive, retweet it, share it. Social media is not always the safest place to vent, but here is a safe place. Psalm 62, verse 8. Look what the scripture says. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. This was the verse that Pastor Mason shared with me several years ago when I was going through something. Hear what the scripture is saying. Whenever you're going through turmoil, Whenever you're distraught, regardless of what it is, we can literally pour out, we can empty out our hearts, we can unveil before God. We can tell God about the things that we hate. We can tell God that we're disgusted. We can tell God we feel like giving up. We can tell God that we're tired of this marriage. We can tell God we feel like abandoning our kids. And God just said, well, you can tell me because I'm a safe place for you to pour out your heart because he's a refuge. That means he's safe. And when you're going through things in life, you need a safe place. As a matter of fact, you don't need an audience. You need a God that can intervene and bring healing and strength in your life. I can't depend on my followers and my audience to give me what I need, but I know God can comfort me, and I know that he's safe. God said, you can pour your heart to me, and I'm not going to download it. I'm not going to retweet it. I'm not going to bring it up later. God said, I love you. Pour out your heart to me. It's a safe place. Let me, let me tell you another safe place. Community can also be a safe place as well. That's why God has placed us in the body. That's why in the book of James it says you can confess your sins to one another. And be healed. It says the, 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 the prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Yeah. And so here's what we're doing, right? Here's what we do. So, so we get on our phones and we're sending tweets, sending emails, sending messages in people's inboxes, hoping somebody will hear us. 
And, and here's the thing that we miss, right? Here's, this, this is real deep. You got to make sure you take notes for this one, right? And then we forget that the same device that we use to text and to post, that we can actually call a person and get a real-life human being. That's why it's called a smartphone. Somebody said, oh, that's what the numbers are for. <laughs> oh, snap. There are times that you need to speak to somebody. There are times you need to have an appointment with somebody face to face and to hold hands and to pray and to believe in God. There are some issues that you're going through in your life right now that you cannot afford to be get lost in the clutter of a news feed. I need undivided attention. I need a person that can keep me accountable. I need a person who I can cry with, who can call me back, who can be a community for me. You need a safe place. Be careful how you vent. Y'all with me? Second, as you're venting, watch your language. You know, you know how it is sometimes when you, when you get in those moods, you get in those funks? You, you know how it is when emotionally charged issues comes up in our culture? You know, when, when, you, when you turn on the news and there's a tragedy and, and something rises up in us and the man or the woman that you thought was dead and crucified with Christ resurrects, and then, and then he begins to speak out of your mouth and begins to make its way into your fingers and you begin to type. Have you, have you, ever, seen, have you ever seen a Facebook post like this? Start with a disclaimer. It said, sorry if this offends my church friends, but. I mean, I've seen issues in our culture in which the body of Christ has lit up Facebook with profanity. F-bombs and S-bombs and MF-bombs from us. And then then we'll get on Facebook and Twitter and we slander people. And we call them names. Especially people that are well-known like celebrities. And politicians. And we think just because a person is well known that they become a target for slander. It doesn't matter whether millions of people know them or only 10 10 people know them. Slander is slander and it's not of God. And we use language that does not reflect who we are in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29 says this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. He said, well, I didn't say it yet, but you typed it. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The term unwholesome has the idea of spoiled fruit. It's rotten fish. And when the fruit of our lips or the fruit of our flesh. It's like we're spilling rotten fruit and spoiled fish online. 
And he said, well, I'm just keeping it real. Yeah, but keeping it real is not an excuse to not be a man or a woman of integrity. And here is what's happening. Why are you keeping it real? And you probably get like 20 likes from people and say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The Spirit of God is grieved. He is saddened. He can't believe that's his daughter. He can't believe that's his son. He can't believe that's the leader who he's chosen. He can't believe that's his chosen generation. He is grieved by the things that we say or the things that we do. It may not grieve you, but it grieves the Spirit of God. Verse 31, I said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander you see the tweets coming to mind? Be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so as you're on social media and you're sharing and you're typing, you want to say words that will give grace to those who read it. What's your language? You're a follower of Christ. Get rid of all malice, slander. Throw away the bad fruit. Let me tell you something too. You always have to be careful that you don't try to make a point and you lose the fact that you're supposed to make a difference. Ah. Some of us have done that too. We've argued our point and we made ourselves clear but it was full of so much slander and disrespect You've lost the influence that God has given to you. Don't you know that you and I are one tweet, one post away from a mass exodus from our Facebook friends? Watch your language. Here's another one. Avoid online and electronic feuds or confrontations. In other words, I'm saying they don't fight on Facebook. You see, one of the things that we have challenges with is confronting. When people have heard us, it's always easy to talk about a person than to go to the person and talk to them. And so now what social media has done is given us a platform for us to talk about people, but we don't call it. You know how we do it. We'll have a post and we say something like, yeah, you know, certain people, you know, you know, rub me the wrong way. Certain people just showing off because they're married now and they have kids. (laughs) And then our friends, and we we don't say who it is, right? But then there's a circle that know who we're talking about. And then somebody said, are you talking about who you think I'm talking about? And say, yeah, that's him. And say, I know you're talking about this. All of this stuff. And that person jump in and say, I I know you're not talking about me. Well, who the cap fits, let them wear it. And, and, and there's this big fight, 125 comments long, fighting online. Fighting on Twitter, one tweet and another tweet. Because we don't confront, and I'm telling you, you don't want to get caught up in any fights or any feuds on Facebook. And then all the nosy people are just dropping in to, to catch another season and episode. Let me catch catch the fight today. I've seen married couples fighting on Facebook. Wow. On their homepage. 
Matthew 18, verse 15 says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Where? In private. If somebody sins, or even if they don't sin, if, you, if, if you're just offended, go to them in private. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Romans 12, verse 18 says this. This has become one of my favorite verses. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. During this time when Paul had wrote this verse, there was controversy or there was conflict between the church and the world because of persecution. And during this time, it was very hard for the early church to engage culture because sometimes engaging culture required sometimes that you be part of these guilds and they would want you, you, know, you know, to take part of these feasts that was you know, towards idols. And so it was very difficult. And here was what Paul was saying. Even though you're in conflict with the world, don't use the conflict that you have in the world as a license to stir up more strife. Just because the world hates you is not a license for you to get on Facebook and Twitter and to pick a fight on somebody who's not a believer. Just because somebody offends you, just because somebody disrespects you, that is not a license for you to go and put them on blast on social media. Just because you've been hurt, that is not justification for you to confront. As a matter of fact, you don't confront by any electronic means. You don't send an email. You don't send a text. You ever get one of those texts, like 10, like 10, like, it's like 10 parts long? And you get this text from your friend. You think, oh, and then you read it. And they're just going and talking about how you did this and how you did that. And you offended me. Why can't we just talk? It's cowardly confrontation. Don't confront electronically. Then they're going to take it and forward and say, look, look at what cousin just sent me. Y'all check this out. Bam. Number four, don't use social media as a source of affirmation and validation. Here, here's the thing about social media. For the first time, for many of us, we have a platform. Hundreds, for some of us, thousands of people that follow us. I remember, remember back in the days, whenever you had like a, a new outfit, and, 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 and you wanted to know if people like it, you had to wait until you get to school, or you had to wait till you show up at the club to see what people say. Now, here's all we gotta do. All we gotta do is take a picture, a selfie, <laughs> Put that on Facebook and Instagram and get immediate feedback. And so it's become all about us. Some of us were, were, were nerds in school as well. Some of us were not popular at all. 15, 20 years later, we have thousands of people following us. And then, and then we just happen to stop by the Facebook page of our old, of our old bully. People used to bully us, or, or old athlete. And they only got like 50 followers, they only got like 300 friends. And here you are, 3,000 and growing. You're like, yeah, who's popular now? And, and so what's become, it's become a way of, of us finding affirmation. We find our self-worth based on how many people follow us. Counting our Facebook friends. Counting how many people like a photo. 
I don't know if any married people have done this. I know I do. Whenever I post a picture of myself, it's like three likes. But when it's like me and my wife, she'll be like two, three hundred likes. <laughs> blowing my Facebook page up. <laughs> but some of us do that. Man, how's it, man I'm, I'm dropping spiritual bombs on Facebook. Three likes. <laughs> then I have this friend talking about encourage yourself, and they get 85 likes for that. <laughs> and people respond and say, yeah, that's a rhema word. Now, if you want a rhema word, you need to come to my Facebook page. <laughs> and that's how we find validation. Has anybody ever confront you, like Nathan confronted David, and say, why are you not following me on Twitter, man? Yeah, man, I'm following you. Why are you not following me? It's all connected to our insecurities. And we use it as a platform for our glory and our renown. It might look like it's for him, but it's really for us. Here's what Paul said in Galatians He said, For, I, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? He said, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ. During this time, there were people that were accusing the Apostle Paul for using the gospel as a way for self-glorification. They thought it was all about the money. They thought it was all about his popularity. And Paul was just sitting there straight. He said, look, let me just tell you something. If I was seeking to please men, I would not be a bond servant of Christ because you cannot worship God and worship man at the same time. You see, and for many of us, we become polytheists. So we worship God, but then we also worship the, the, we also worship the validation and the affirmation of men. That's what it is. It's man worship. It's idolatry. We've made men, we've made people our God. And we're concerned about whether they love us, whether they like us. Like me, please. Make me feel like a man. Make me feel like a woman. Number five, exercise modesty. So you know I had to bring this up. We live in a day and age in a culture where the less you wear, the more attention you receive. The more raunchy the more the likes. Some of us young ladies, you know what we're talking about. You put up pictures in your window coat, three likes. <laughs> you put on that dress, 59, 100, 200 likes. And sometimes it's easy to exchange modesty for affirmation. Modesty for retention. Modesty for what we perceive as love. Here is what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. This is a verse I've been taken out of context so many times. He said, therefore I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. He said, likewise I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreet, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. 
us. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, first of all, I want the men to be men of worship. I want the men in the churches to be men of God. You don't use your hands for fist fights, but you use your hands to lift in worship. I want you to be men that glorify and to honor God. And likewise, in that same spirit, I want the women to have that same spirit of worship, but it portrays itself in the way that you dress. And what he's basically saying, he's basically saying, don't wear braids and jewelry. And this actually was, 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 was the dressing of a person that was a prostitute. And so what a prostitute would do in order for them to have more business, they had to make themselves more showy or eye-catching in order to catch the eyes of, bis- of, of possible clients. And so what Paul was saying, Paul was saying, don't dress like a prostitute but rather carry yourself as a woman of God. So as you post pictures on Instagram, as you post pictures on Facebook, you remember that you are a woman of God, that you are a woman of worth. He says, if you claim godliness, I like that, meaning if you claim to honor Christ, if you claim that you're a Christian, if you claim that you're a follower of him, then the way that you portray yourself must be like that. But here is what we understand, and this is the tension that many women face. You want to be known as beautiful. You want people to realize that you're beautiful and you have worth. And sometimes, and it was the same deal during the age of Paul, is that in order sometimes for in order to feel beautiful, you can begin drifting in to this arena of where the way that you carry yourself does not reflect your scriptural values. And the glory of God becomes moggy and foggy. And I'm telling you, and you will have friends that will affirm the way that you dress on Facebook. They say, oh, you better work that dress. In all caps, get it. Get it, Saquana. Get it. You better work it. And then you respond, oh, thanks for the love. That's not love. That's affirmation. That's good. 200 likes does not equate to love. And then all the fellas leaving all these, all these derogatory remarks. And we're supposed to be women of God. And then you're going to like what he says. Here's what scripture says. Here's what Paul, in the book of Isaiah, God said that he loves you. That he adores you. God loves you. Let me tell you something. God loves you. He's crazy about you. They may not like your photos, but God loves you. And this is not just a single woman's issue either. Married women struggle with this. Because here's the thing, right? You know you never cheat on your husband. At least, at least you don't plan to. But it's something about that affirmation, doesn't it? It's, it's something about saying, well, you know, I'll never cheat on him. But, but, but when, when, when you turn heads at the mall, when you see guys who are like this, like, dang. It's, it's a little part of you that says, man, I, I still got it. And you also will struggle 
for affirmation of the opposite sex. Here. You exercise modesty. You remember who you are and who God says you are. Number six, don't be a busybody. Just because somebody says, or somebody's status changes from married or in a relationship to it's complicated, does not give you license to go in their albums to try to find clues. Let me make sure everything's okay. And just because you're interested in a person, it's not a license for you to stalk them on Facebook either. Who's that? And he, got, he got a picture. I thought he wasn't seeing anybody. <laughs> and then we're going to go to her page, looking at her page, trying to see if they're seeing anybody. And it's, it's crazy. Have you ever met a person in real life and you saw them on Facebook first? But, but you can't show that you were nosy. You have to pretend like you just met them for the first time. <laughs> oh, nice to meet you. Oh, you oh, all are related. I didn't know that. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. This is one of the realest scriptures Paul ever wrote. What he says, he said, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life that you should mind your business. That's what he said. Paul said, mind your business and work with your hands. What was happening during this time is that there were people that was leeching off the church. And they felt, okay, well, maybe since Jesus Christ might be coming back soon, then that means I don't have to work. And so since the church, since we, we throw in for people that are in need anyway, I'm in need. So, so what I'll do is, is I will not work and not find a job. And so they were leeching off of people in the church. And Paul said, if a man doesn't work, a man doesn't eat. And so because they had all this time on their hands, they were meddling in the affairs and the business of others. Paul says, mind your own business and work with your hands. Find something productive to do. Sometimes we say, well, I don't have time for a small group. I don't have time to serve. I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to be my scriptures. You'll be surprised at how much time you're blowing on YouTube videos, scanning people's Facebook pages. You'll be in an album for hours. That's none of your business. That's where your time is. You'll be surprised how much time you redeem. Then all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I got time to be in a men's group. Because I'm less of a stalker. <laughs> Last but not least, this is huge. Establish boundaries. You need some boundaries. That means there has to be a time in your life that you log off that you turn it off, that you shut it down. Proverbs, check this out. Proverbs 22, verse 28 says, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. When the Israelites had got into the promised land, what they did is they divided the land into various plots. And so, and so each family would have a portion of land that was given to them. And the boundaries were set 
right? So there, were, there was no such thing as, as land that was up to grabs in the promised land. This was your plot of land. This is all you had to work with. But, but here's the thing about, about man's heart. We're never satisfied, are we? And so, especially, you know, when you had a vision to expand, how do you expand with this? And, and so, what some people started doing is it would literally move the boundary mark. And so, they, you know, just kind of do one of these slick little moves. But what happened? But you, have to, you, you couldn't do it too much, though, just, just enough so nobody don't notice. <laughs> and then, then, you, then you come back next month, you say, Dad, what's that over there? And this was common. And as a matter of fact, if, 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 if you were a high-ranking official, sometimes the court system would protect you. And so well, people would take your land, and you couldn't even fight for it. Because even though this is what the law said, the depravity of man's heart has never been, has, has ne- because, of the, because of the depravity of man's heart, we always violated the law. We always break the covenant. There is part of you and I that always says, I want to push the boundaries. I want to violate. We have boundaries, don't we? Social media and our family. This is supposed to be time with the wife. Yeah, but I want to, but babe, I want to, I got to do a tweak, though. Have an audience. That's my ministry. And, and, so, and, so here it is. and so here it is, we're supposed to be with the family and we're doing this. We're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to be on a one-on-one date with the wife. And he's like, okay, is this between me and her or is this me, her, and my Twitter followers? Are we taking pictures of everything? Especially me, I like taking pictures of food. You're taking pictures, say, hold on, let me, hold on, babe, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me take a picture of them wings. Let me join them tight. Let me, hold on. And then you know how we got to angle it like this? <laughs> then we take a picture of lobster. And then all the nosy people saying, certain people, you know, saying they got money, but they're on, you know, Facebook posting pictures of lobster. I thought they were broke. <laughs> we're supposed to be studying. I'm telling you, and we're doing this. And, and here's our, and, and this device, is, you see, because it's so convenient, it's tricky as well, too. So you can be saying, I'm studying, and then you can minimize, right, the Piper article and do a tweet real quick, check on the Facebook, and maybe say, oh, what you doing, baby? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just checking out this Piper article. That's all you're doing? Yeah, that's all I'm doing. That's not what you were doing. You were pushing the boundaries. And when there's no boundaries, our life gets out of control. You got to ask yourself, when is going to be my time offline? When, when, when I'm with my family, can I be fully present? I mean like actually there, both physically and mentally. My wife hit me with a bomb a few weeks ago. She said, babe, um, do you, um, it's okay if you don't, you know, tweet about scandal. You see, and now you know, you know, everybody and their mother is tweeting about scandal. 
And I'm serious. We, we had a conversation about this. And sometimes I like to play the devil's advocate. I say, yeah, but, but what if I'm trying to engage culture, though? <laughs> and what she said. She said, baby, can we do anything that you don't have to tweet? Can we have a personal life? You don't have to tweet about everything. Everything does not have to get on Facebook. Everything does not have to be made public. You need some boundaries. There needs to be a time that you turn this off and you give God your undivided attention. There needs to be a time, I'm telling you, when you're having a meeting, when you're having lunch, and it needs to be you and your friend. How many times we're supposed to be having lunch? This is supposed to be accountability. And when we're like, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. Hold that tear real quick. Let me check out this video. Every five seconds, we're picking this up. And you know what's become? This has become our addiction. It's mastering us. It's controlling us. And there needs to be a time that we turn it off. We need some boundaries. And you don't push it. And you don't get tricky. And you don't get manipulative. And you don't lie to your children. And you don't lie to your wife. And you don't lie to your boss saying that you weren't on Facebook. Yes, you were. Set up some boundaries. And boundaries are always to protect that which is sacred. What is sacred? His name. Jesus redeemed you. He saved you. And he's provided a platform for you to glorify him. For men and women to see who God is. To understand that this same person, this same person on Twitter, this same person on Facebook, this same person on Instagram has a savior. And this savior died on the cross, was buried and resurrected just for you. That is why we tweet. That is why we leave comments. That's why we like certain things. There are certain things I won't like because of the glory of God. There are certain things I may not comment about because of the glory of God. There are certain pictures I will reshare because of the glory of God. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many followers we have. It doesn't matter how many Facebook friends we have. What matters most is that we have a Savior that was nailed on the cross, that shed his blood for us, and we do everything through him in his name. We are nothing without him. We're dead without him. We need to understand that Jesus has redeemed us, and if Jesus died on the cross for us, how can I not represent that wisdom, that Savior? So next time you tweet, the next time you post, you remember who died for you. And he loves you. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for being a God that loves us, that died for us. Thank you for the opportunity to honor you and worship you for who you are.